Welcome back to the Der Show. Apologize for the kind of quirky schedule. We've um, had Jewish holidays. I had uh, illness in my family, and um, all in all, we missed um, several shows. Uh, we're doing today's, but we're not going to do tomorrow and the next day because it's uh, Yom Kippur. Um, you know, when I was growing up, the expression was Jewish holidays either always come too early or too late. They never come in the middle. And uh, it was really important to us when the uh, Jewish holidays came because we didn't want them to conflict with the World Series because obviously we wanted to watch the World Series, especially with the Brooklyn Dodgers were playing uh, the New York Yankees. And because um, otherwise we'd have to sneak out of the synagogue and go to 13th Avenue where there was a store that uh, had a TV in the window and we could watch it because on the Jewish holidays, you're, you're, if you're Orthodox, as I was, you're not allowed to turn on uh, the TV. We had one guy in the neighborhood who cheated sometimes and uh, we were able to go to his house and, and watch the TV. There were also something called Shabbos clocks. It was amazing instruments. That is, the TV would go on by itself um, um, if it was set in advance. And, um, and um, uh, some rabbis said that was okay, and some said it wasn't okay. In any event, tomorrow night, um, I go to um, synagogue um, for Yom Kippur and all day, uh, all day uh, Wednesday, and I fast. Uh, I don't eat um, for the day, even though I'm 84 years old, and my doctors say, and the rabbis say, it's okay, you don't have to fast. But I've been doing it since I'm, I don't know, eight or nine years old. So I keep, I keep with uh, tradition. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm um, a very committed Jew in various different ways. I'm not as religiously committed as I once was as a kid, but I'm committed in every other way to the survival of the Jewish people and to the survival of Israel, which brings us to today's uh, topic. And the question is, has the University of California Law School at Berkeley uh, banned Zionist speakers? And if so, is that legal? I mean, there's something of a controversy about what happened, but let's start with what's not controversial. Um, the Students for Justice for Palestine, uh, which is a, essentially a racist organization, an anti-Semitic organization that um, doesn't believe in Israel's right to exist, singles out only Israel, is the only country in the world. Um, you know, Israel's history is very little different from New Zealand's, for example, except that um, Israel wanted to accommodate and live with uh, the Arab population. There's always been a Jewish population since, uh, you know, well before the birth of Jesus um, uh, in, in, in what was then called Eretz Israel, and then the Romans named it Palestine um, as a kind of negative thing, Palestina. And, uh, you know, some claim that some it was based on the Phoenicians living there. Nobody is sure, but there's always been a Jewish presence uh, since the Jews were expelled in the um, first century um, AD. Um, and um, so when Jews started coming back to Israel in the last part of the 19th century, it was about the same time as uh, British people started to come in large numbers to New Zealand. And, and nobody complains about uh, New Zealand or about so many other countries uh, that um, uh, have, have had uh, changes of, of, of populations. Um, I'll give you one other striking example, a city called Konigsberg, um, which had been a German oppression city for a thousand years, 
and the Russians captured it during the Second World War, and they just ethnically cleansed every single German, sent them packing, killed some of them, and and sent hundreds of thousands of ethnic Russians to live in Konigsberg, which isn't even near Russia. It's you know pretty far away, but uh, the international community seems to have accepted that, um, but uh, but not not Israel. So. The, the club in Berkeley, which is you know, supported by the law school and the university, and there, there are um, clubs like this all over the United States and all over the world, um, um, sent a letter to the various other clubs, including the Berkeley Women's Association, what they have to do with Israel, I don't know, or the Queer Association, um, urging them to ban all Zionist speakers. There's no doubt about that. What they said is it is necessary for the safety, I'm quoting, the safety and welfare of Palestinian students not to allow any Zionists to speak. Now, first of all, that's an out and out lie. Second of all, in a university, you don't protect students from different ideas. Um, the amount of anti-Semitism and anti-Israel attitudes that are today expressed on campuses, uh, that's part of a free speech. So the idea that a club sponsored by the university would ban, outright ban, all Zionist speakers because it would be unsafe for the poor, you know, snowflake Palestinians who, who can't stand the idea that maybe a view different from theirs will be expressed, God forbid, they feel unsafe. No, no. In the university, you're supposed to feel that your ideas are unsafe. There's been no situation, as far as I know of, ever where a Zionist speaker has ever physically attacked a Palestinian. The opposite has been true. Zionist speakers have been attacked. When I spoke at the University of Toronto uh, some years ago, I needed armed policemen sitting on the stage with bulletproof glass in front of me, shields, because there had been threats on my life. And I've experienced that in other places. I've never heard of the opposite happening. So let's dismiss this total nonsense and total anti-Semitism. Any claim that Palestinian students uh, need to ban Zionist speakers because of their safety and welfare, just total nonsense. So who are they banning? Who are Zionist speakers? Well, I'm a Zionist speaker and Berkeley tried to ban me a few years ago. They came up with a crazy rule saying if a department sponsors you, then you can speak. No department at Berkeley would sponsor a pro-Zionist speaker. So I couldn't get a sponsorship. Student group wanted to sponsor me, but no department would sponsor me in all of Berkeley, all of the University of California at Berkeley. And so there was a new rule that set up is if a university, if a department doesn't sponsor you and only a student group sponsors you, then you have to give eight weeks advance notice, which means the semester is over. It was an obvious pretext to ban me and other pro-Israel uh, speakers. So I threatened a lawsuit. I would have brought it. We're all set. And the dean of the Berkeley Law School, who's a decent guy, he calls himself a progressive Zionist. Uh, he then invited me on behalf of the law school. And I spoke. It was an overthrow, over, overflow crowd. Um, people disagreed, agreed. I said I would stay at the event until every single question was answered and that I would answer questions in the order of how negative they were. That is, nobody is entitled to ask a question saying, oh, Dershowitz, you're so good. We support Israel, et cetera. No, I would take 
first, only the critical questions about me and about Israel. And then I'd stay as long as it was necessary. And I stayed a long time and it was a very positive event. But Berkeley, Berkeley, not, not the clubs, the university, the University of California at Berkeley tried to ban me and other Zionist speakers by setting up this phony, this phony rule that you needed eight weeks unless a department sponsored you, knowing full well that departments were not sponsoring pro-Israel speakers. Not the only school. Brooklyn College, where I went, probably I'm the most well-known alumnus of the political science department at Brooklyn College. Danny Kay is probably better known, and the actor Smith, I don't remember his first name, uh, probably better known. But um, I'm the best known, best known um, uh, uh, graduate of the political science department. They won't allow me to speak. Uh, their attitude is, look, we, we have all the speakers we need. We have Noam Chomsky, who's against Israel. We have Norman Finkelstein. We have uh, pro-BDS uh, speakers. We don't need Dershowitz speaking. So they have not allowed me to speak. This is a department at the um, City University of New York, the law school. The faculty voted unanimously. I guarantee you that there were faculty members who didn't believe this but they figured their tenure was at stake or their reputation was at stake. They voted unanimously to boycott only one country in the world. No, it wasn't Russia. No, it wasn't China. No, it wasn't Iran. No, it wasn't Cuba. It was Israel, the nation state of the Jewish people. This is the City University of New York, which used to be a great university, City College, Brooklyn College. The uh, university, um, uh, City University of New York Law School is a I think fifth rate uh, law schools, others say a third rate law school. We can debate third, fifth, but it's not um, anywhere in the, in the second or first rankings. And largely because it's so political, largely because it's a partisan place where students feel if they would raise their hand and make an argument on behalf of Israel, they'd be graded down. After all, they're dealing with faculty members who voted unanimously to boycott only the nation state of the Jewish people from all the countries in the world, which again is just overt, bigoted anti-Semitism. You cannot single out only the nation state of the Jewish people. It would be as if there were you know, only black uh, countries in the world were singled out for, for boycott, or only Asian countries were singled out for boycott. You can't do that. There's one nation state of the Jewish people if you're going to boycott, you have to do it in order of the seriousness of crimes. Obviously, Russia, China, um, Belarus, so many other countries. Um, Israel would probably be among the 200 countries in the world, about 185th. That doesn't mean it's perfect, but uh, it's pretty pretty good ranking in terms of human rights, um, compliance with the rule of law, and concern for uh, civilians on the other side. So when any institution, whether it be the United Nations or the University of California at Berkeley or New York City uh, uh, Law School, uh, singles out only Israel for boycotting. That's anti-Semitism. It's anti-Semitism disguised as anti-Zionism. But take, for example, Berkeley says, these clubs say, <clears throat> no Zionist speakers. 90% of Jews are Zionists. The dean of the law school admitted that. And he said, he would not be permitted to speak. 90% uh, of Jews are Zionists. They may be critical of Israel. They may be Zionists. What if a university said, we're no longer going to admit anybody who supports Black Lives Matter 
wouldn't that be in effect saying we're not admitting black students um, because 90% or whatever of black applicants support black lives matter. So, you know, if you use euphemism with surrogates for um, race and religion, courts will see through it. And that's why we're probably going to be bringing a lawsuit against the University of California if it turns out that A, these clubs are financially supported by a state university, which makes the action state action, and B, if it's true that they are banning uh, all Zionist speakers. Now, the dean of the law school, who's a very decent guy, has said it's against the policies of the University of California Law School to ban speakers on the basis of religion or viewpoint. Now, that seems strange, viewpoint. So I issue a challenge. It's very simple. I offered to speak at any of the clubs that have now enacted this um, anti-Zionist speakers ban. I'm a Zionist. I believe in the two-state solution. I believe in Palestinian rights. I believe in the rights of the Jewish people of Israel. I'm against terrorism on all sides. Uh, I volunteer now to speak at the Berkeley Women's Organization or the Berkeley Queer Organization or Students for Justice in Palestine. Uh, either I can speak and make the case for uh, Israel, if they don't want me to speak on that. Uh, I'll talk about Thomas Jefferson. Um, I'll talk about baseball. I'll talk about Aaron Judge. Um, I'll, I'll talk about anything. But if they don't accept my invitation, I'm not charging them. It's free. Um, but if they reject me and they reject every other Zionist speaker who seeks to speak in front of them, no, I think we've probably made the case. Now, again, the dean of the Berkeley Law School says, no, no, no. All they've done is made a free speech announcement. Yeah, yeah, no, not quite. If you announce that no black people will be allowed into your store or into your hotel or into your law school, that's not just free speech. That's discrimination. You can say we advocate that there should be a change in the law so that black people or Jewish people or gay people or straight people can't uh, come to this state-sponsored event. You, you can advocate that, but you can't actually say no Jews allowed. You know, remember back in the day, there apparently used to be signs in San Francisco and Boston, no, no Jews or dogs allowed, no, do no, no dogs or Irish allowed. That was blatant, blatant discrimination. But if instead of saying no Irish allowed, they said you know, nobody whose name starts with an O or an MC or uh, gave other descriptions that fit mostly Irish people, uh, they every court would see through that. Uh, or instead of saying no Italian-Americans allowed, nobody whose name ends in a vowel, uh, you know, the courts will see through that. Or if instead of saying uh, no black people, uh, African-Americans are allowed. Again, they would say no supporters of uh, Martin Luther King. Of course, that would cover so many white people as well if they couldn't do that. But anytime you have a surrogate for what really constitutes racial discrimination, the courts see through that. And I'm not talking about only liberal courts, conservative courts as well see through that. So Berkeley has a problem. Uh, Berkeley has a long-standing problem. The dean and others at Berkeley have said, no, Berkeley is a paradigm. It's, 
it's it's very good. When you get 10, nine or 10 organizations at a given law school, nine or 10 organizations, including the women's organization at Berkeley, you know, that's half the school. I don't know how many people belong to the queer, but if you take those 10 or nine altogether, it's a very, very substantial part of the law school student population. And it says that all Zionist speakers, whether you support the two-state solution, whether you support Palestinian rights, all Zionist speakers must be banned because that's, quote, necessary for the safety and welfare of Palestinian students. That is just old-fashioned bigotry. And if that turns out to be true, we're going to be suing them. And we're going to win that case because no state university has the right to practice discrimination. You know, even putting aside the discrimination for a second, who would want to go to a university or belong to a club that only wanted one point of view expressed? I mean, that's just so not the American way. Uh, if, if I'm a pro-Israel speaker, I invite pro-Palestinian speakers to come and share their uh, experience. I, I've had terrific conversations with advocates of Palestinian rights. I've even had good conversations with people who don't believe in Israel's right to exist. So let's have debates. I was invited to debate at Oxford University, at the Oxford Union, the oldest debate club in the world, I think. And um, the issue was, should Israel be boycotted? Should it be the only country in the world to be boycotted? And the vast majority of students at uh, the Oxford Union supported that position, um, but they invited me to take the opposite position. And you want to know what happened? It changed people's views. And by the end of the debate, a majority of the Oxford Union voted against the resolution that Israel should be subject to a boycott. So minds can be changed. That's what universities are about. Shame, shame on any club at a university that bans speakers from any point of view, but particularly from a point of view which is basically a cover for, uh, for Jews and therefore that constitutes uh, anti-Semitism. So there's a dispute. Uh, the dean of the law school is a decent guy. He has his position. Uh, he's obviously needs to defend. He's, he's, he's also attacked the student groups who did this to his credit, but he's defended the free speech rights of these clubs. He's wrong about that. And I would issue a challenge to him to debate me on whether it comes within free speech to announce a policy of discrimination. I've never heard that before, that announcing a policy of discrimination, saying no Catholics are allowed to join this public institution that's free speech? That's not free speech. First case I had, the first major case I had is I sued Cravath, Swain & Moore, one of the biggest, most influential law firms in, in New York at the time, on behalf of an Italian-American student, uh, student lawyer who had worked at the firm seven or eight years and had gotten great reviews, and uh, the firm had a policy. It wouldn't promote uh, ethnic Catholics to partnership, and um, uh, we won that lawsuit and got the courts to hold that uh, promotion to partnership is covered by the Civil Rights Act. And you couldn't discriminate against Italian Americans or Irish Americans or Jewish Americans or women Americans or Arab Americans or gay Americans. 
that was a really, really important decision. And um, uh, the dean of the law school is not right when he says that Cravathswain and Moore could make an announcement saying we're not going to accept Catholics. And he's wrong when he says that it's within the free speech rights of clubs to say we're not going to allow Zionists, by which they mean Jews, um, um, with perhaps one or two exceptions, um, to come and speak at our club. So, uh, Dean, uh, let's have a debate. Let's have a discussion. I'll come to Berkeley. Maybe we can do it in front of one of these organizations. That way they'll have two Jews with two different points of view, both Zionists, um, one defending them and one opposing them. That would be a very interesting display of the open marketplace of ideas. But don't anybody believe that Berkeley is one of the leaders in the fight against uh, anti-Semitism and anti-Israel attitudes? It's not. There are universities that are worse. The City University of New York Law School is worse. There are other universities that are worse. But Berkeley is not among the best. It's, it's, it's not among the best at all. Uh, whether it's among the worst or not, it's very hard because it's such a large university. It has a very substantial, not only Jewish population, but Zionist uh, population, student population. Uh, recently, the Israel Club invited a member of the Israeli Knesset to speak there. So it's not that pro-Israel speakers aren't allowed anywhere on the campus. They are. It's just that they're excluded from certain clubs. Now, when a woman's club excludes only Zionists, that's the worst form of bigotry because being a woman and supporting women's rights have nothing to do with, with Zionism. Being gay has nothing to do with Zionism. In fact, Tel Aviv was voted the most pro-gay city or the city which is most positive toward gays in the world. Uh, there are gay pride demonstrations going through Jerusalem over the opposition of Orthodox Jews. The Where, by the way, do Palestinians go from the West Bank when they are openly gay? They move to Israel. Uh, they sneak over the border and they move to Israel uh, because Israel is so welcoming as a country uh, of gays. Israel's the first country in the history of the world, as far as I know, ever to elect a woman prime minister who wasn't related to a previous male prime minister, Golda Meir. All the other up to then, Margaret Thatcher has since done it as well. But until then, every other country that had a female head of state was the daughter of the wife of the niece of whatever, some prominent male political figure, Nehru or Gandhi or, you know, or whatever that happened to be, um, even Hillary Clinton. Um, but in Israel, Golda Meir made it on her own and uh, she was the, the prime minister of Israel. So why are women's organizations joining with this anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist band? Why are gay organizations uh, joining it. It's out and out bigotry. And bigotry has no place in American universities today. So, Dean, let's have that debate. Let's have that discussion. And um, clubs, prove you're not discriminating. Invite me to speak. I'm happy to speak. You pick the subject. And I'll discuss it. If people don't want to come and hear me, that's fine. But if people want to hear me, that should be their right as well. Okay. Let's turn to a few questions. How can Lindell have you as his counsel? That's insane. 
you don't believe the election was stolen, which is beyond belief. I don't have to agree with somebody to represent him. Do you think John Adams agreed with the soldiers who shot down American citizens during the Boston massacre? Of course not. Do you think I agreed with O.J. Simpson, with Donald Trump, with uh, Leona Helmsley? No, you don't have to agree with somebody to defend them. I am defending Mike uh, Lindell uh, over the seizure of his telephone and the search of it. That has nothing to do with his opinions. I wish more people would understand that. Would you say the same thing about a doctor who treated Lindell in the emergency ward? Uh, does he have to agree with him? No, I, I don't think so. Um, okay. I'd like to know why. This is a related question. I would like to know why you represented Jeffrey Epstein and got him a sweetheart deal. So he just had to spend the night in jail and only got a sentence of a few months, I think it was 18, and was out again to prey on our precious children once again with his pedo friends. Shame, 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 shame. Look, I'm a lawyer. I'm a criminal lawyer. The more unpopular, the more hated, the more despised, the more controversial, the more unlikely to get a fair trial than any defendant is, the more I'm likely to represent them. That's been my specialty over the years. That's the specialty of every decent criminal lawyer. It was the specialty of Thurgood Marshall, of Clarence Darrow, uh, of, um, of Daniel Webster, um, of so many other lawyers. Uh, you defend the most unpopular. Why did I get him a deal? That's my job, to get him the best deal. If you think the deal was too good, criticize the prosecutor. Criticize the judge. I was an advocate. I would have preferred to see him go scot-free, not a single day in jail. That would be my goal as his lawyer. That's always my goal. I'm not trying to put my clients in jail. I'm trying to get my clients out of uh, jail. Um, I've never had a client, as far as I know, that has ever been convicted of um, continuing or doing it again or uh, doing it the first time if they were innocent um, uh, the first time. Uh, but again, that's not my job. What if a doctor cures somebody and that person goes out and does something uh, terrible? That's not the responsibility of the doctor. It's not the responsibility of the lawyer. What if a priest doesn't turn in somebody uh, and, and who admits to him that he has a problem uh, controlling violence, and then the person goes out and commits violence. So shame on you for not understanding the very important role of lawyers under the Sixth Amendment. And let me tell you, I'm going to continue to do it, whether you like it or not. When I come across people who I think are going to be denied a fair trial, who are unpopular, uh, that's my job. I'm going to defend them. I'm going to defend them zealously, and I'm going to get them the best deal I possibly can. And if I can get them acquitted, I'm going to do that. And I'm very proud of it. So, you know, you can continue to criticize me, but I'm going to continue to do it. Uh, let's see. Um, you lost me when you said the evidence must be bigger than it is for Hillary Clinton. Let me explain that. I said in order for uh, former President Trump to be indicted for uh, any kind of unlawful possession of White House material, classified material. Two standards have to be met, the Richard Nixon standard and the Hillary Clinton standard. The Richard Nixon standard is Republicans have to be willing to see him prosecuted the way they were, willing to see Richard Nixon impeached. Uh, but the second one is 
Hillary Clinton, according to the prosecutors and according to the head of the FBI, mishandled um, uh, material uh, that was on her computer, including classified material. And um, uh, she was not criminally prosecuted. And you can't have a double standard. Uh, if one candidate for president, a Democrat, wasn't prosecuted, and you're going to prosecute another candidate for president, a Republican, you have to show that there is a distinction, that the argument uh, that, that what, what Donald Trump did was at least as bad, or it has to actually be substantially worse than what, um, what Hillary Clinton was accused of and uh, suspected of. So uh, that's what I mean by that. Let's take one more question. Dershowitz is a very intelligent man. So it's really, really hard to believe he still supports the Biden administration in light of the absolute disaster the administration has been for America. I challenge anyone to name one thing that Biden has done that benefited the country as a whole. Who will go down in history as the worst performing president in the history of the country. <clears throat> so for an intellectual like Dershowitz to say he still supports the Democrats is, is mind boggling. Um, look. Uh, am I uncritical of, of Biden? Of course not. I've never been uncritical of, of any um, president, including people who are, I regarded as friends who were president, Bill Clinton. Um, of course I've been critical. Um, but I think on balance that Biden has done a better job than Donald Trump would have done. Um, I think particularly domestically, he's done a pretty good job um, getting some legislation passed that benefits uh, the country. Um, you know, I wish he did more to keep us from um, uh, an inflationary depression. Um, uh, I think he's done a good job um, in dealing with Russia on Ukraine. Uh, don't know how it's going to end, but I feel comfortable with him sitting in the chair of commander uh, in chief. Uh, Joe Biden's a decent, honorable and honest man. And um are there things about him which I wish were different? Yeah, I mean, it really would be nice if he were 30 years younger, um, uh, as presidents have been over the years. We've had presidents ranging from you know, John F. Kennedy um, to now, of course, uh, Biden, who's, I think, probably the oldest person to serve in the White House. But uh, Reagan was was pretty old as well. But I'm 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 uh, if I had it to do over again, and I will have it to do over again, I get to vote if I'm still alive and well in 2024, I plan to vote for, uh, for, for Joe Biden if he runs against um, Donald Trump or DeSantis or any of the other obvious Republican candidates. I will not vote for um, Bernie Sanders. I will not vote for Elizabeth Warren. I will not vote for anybody who represents the radical wing of the Democratic Party, but I will continue to vote mostly Democrat. I vote for Republicans from time to time, but I vote mostly Democrat um, because of um, the platforms. I support a woman's right to choose, and I support gay rights, and I support climate control, and I support reasonable gun control. I support separation of church and state. I support a Supreme Court that's more protective of individual rights. So that's why I'm a Democrat, not because of any particular individual, but largely because of the agenda and the platform of the Democratic Party compared to that of the Republican Party. As I've said before, if I lived in England, I'd probably vote conservative. All right, we're not um, meeting tomorrow. We're not meeting on um, 
uh, Wednesday. For those of you who are Jewish, uh, have a meaningful Yom Kippur. For those of you who fast, have an easy fast. And um, uh, we'll see you uh, next um, um, a Monday when, as a Jew, I, I start on a whole fresh slate that, uh, you know, hopefully my sins of the past will have been wiped out. And uh, hopefully I won't get too many new sins. See you on Monday.